This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Bursts. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. And on today's show, we have the one and only Neil joining us on the line all the way from Victoria. Thank you, Neil, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Well, let's start at the beginning, Neil. Uh, where did life start out for you? I was born in Darwin and um, came back uh, came to Adelaide when I was about two years old and then grew up in Adelaide um, and then moved to Melbourne when I was 35 years old. Wow. So you've moved around a fair bit over the years. Uh, what was life like growing up in Darwin? I actually don't remember it because I, I came back when I was two. So, right. like, I don't really remember. I actually haven't even been there um, since. So I re- would really like to go back there and um, and see that. But I think that's probably why I can take hot weather. You know, like that whole thing. You're born in a in a in a, a territory that is is quite hot, and so therefore you um, are okay with humidity and okay with heat. Uh, so moving on from Adelaide, at the age of two, you moved. To where? Tell us the next stage of your life growing up. Yeah, so I moved to uh, Adelaide and um, and spent uh, spent time there. We lived um, in only one house, so I only lived in one house there, um, as in with my parents. And then when we got married, uh, when Kate and I got married, uh, we have moved nine times, including uh, to Victoria. Um, about seven years ago. So, yes, we have moved around a bit, seen a lot of uh, Australia and South Australia, Victoria and, and all different places, um, but um, that's okay. You've got to move where the rentals are, don't you? Yeah, you do. So, you know, when, when the landlord sells a property, you've got to, you've got to go. And, um, and so that's been our circumstance uh, many times. We've either grown out of a property or we've had to move or... Uh, we felt led or called um, to another area, so we've we've acted upon that. Okay, what what do you mean by called or led? Yeah, I mean I'm a Christian, um, have a relationship with Jesus, love Him to bits, and um, I believe that um, you know His Spirit. When you become a Christian, His Spirit lives in you, and therefore um, you are guided at times by his spirit to where where we feel like we're meant to be led and, and guided. And um, and for me what that looks like is sometimes it's a, a nudge, a, a sense, um, someone speaks about it, there's a, a confirmation that feels right in me. Kind of the way I look at it is, is that you know how when, you know, someone's either speaking to you and they're talking about a particular topic and you're going through that topic and you haven't told anyone, and you're like, far out, that person's really speaking to me. That's the type of thing that I get, uh, that sense of um, this is the right decision. And also um, for me, you know, moving to Victoria was, at the time I was pastoring churches, and I felt like that was the next place that we needed to go. And so we did, and we, we went to a church and and uh, and did that over there. So I think, um, you know, God leading us, calling us, whatever you want to call it, if you like. But um, 
it's just that sense of uh, this is a direction that I might need to go and at least test it out. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a pretty unique uh, sense of, of feeling that you've had. But you didn't always understand life like that. Tell us about your childhood years, particularly as a teenager. Uh, how would have you seen things then? How was your perspective different? Yeah, I've lived my life uh, looking for a place to have a voice and um, I never really had a voice in my home and so we never talked about deep stuff, we never talked about um, anything really and a particular incident happened to me when I was really, really young and I came to a trusted adult and um, and they kind of really fobbed me off and I wasn't realising this until later but... Um, but throughout my life, I've always looked for a voice. I've always looked for um, my voice to be heard, that I matter, that I'm loved, that I'm cared for. And so those decisions led me to make some probably unhelpful decisions, some friendships that I had that these people, you know, said that they cared about me, loved me and showed showed it towards me. Um, and... And through that, they were doing some things like drugs and alcohol and all those sorts of things, um, a crime and a bunch of different things. And in order to fit in, to feel love, to have a voice, to feel like I matter, um, I made some decisions to do that as well. And so I got, uh, I made decisions, intentional decisions to to be with them and, and to do drugs and to drink and to, to um to make those unhelpful relationship decisions uh, because I was looking for the voice because I wanted to fit in and, and feel loved. How did you get out of that situation, Neil? Yeah, I mean, um, there were many times I could have got out. I chose not to. Um, mm. But um, probably the most particular or the most profound moment of my life was that um, I was working for a company that sold hoodies, would you believe? And um, and it was at a, a Christian uh, church service, youth rally type thing, and um, where young people gather to to worship God. And I was setting up the gear, and they were rehearsing, and that the the uh, the worship music was has started. And then um, I sort of said to the guy that I was setting up with, I said, "Look, I need to listen to this." And I came in there and that still small voice, if you like, that, that pull on my heart was like, you know what? No one was even talking. Like, that's the thing. Like, no one was like preaching. No one was talking or anything like that. It was literally just this music and um, and it was just this confirmation in my heart to say, he said, Neil, you're not doing something. You're not, you're not going to be living a life very long if you keep up this behaviour. And, um, and so I just really felt like, and I now know it was God, um, kind of, this nudge in my heart that said, you know, you can keep on doing drugs and keep on drinking and keep on sleeping around and keep on making these decisions that are unhelpful. Um, but you won't spend eternity with me and um, you're not going to live very long. And so he said, I felt like he said, um, but if you choose me, it's not going to be the most easiest life. There's going to be good times and hard times, but I promise you I'll be with you and you'll spend eternity with me. And so, um, right then I made a decision to stop drugs, stop drinking, stop sleeping around and, and unhelpful relationships and hurting so many other people 
and um, and I started the journey to getting my life right, which took about six to twelve months. And I wouldn't say my life's really right yet, but uh, I don't think anyone's is really. But definitely, my behaviours changed, um, and I made that decision to focus on God and and change my direction. Probably one of the hardest things was giving up my friendships that I had and I knew that I had to do it in order to uh, pursue this new life I had. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you share this with your friends? I said to them, hey, guys, I've become a Christian. I'm not doing drugs anymore. And they laughed at me. And um, I think they got stoned in front of me or something like that. And it took me a long time to stop getting drunk every weekend, though. Like I just that voice in my head just said, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to be the life of the party, you need to do this. And so um, it took a while, but after they saw that I was consistent, um, I think they just kind of went, oh, this guy's, you know, not going to hang out with us in that space. And I was prepared to to hang out with them, um, but on my terms rather than their terms this time. Mm. So pretty, uh, pretty dramatic uh, change for you and one that changed the trajectory of your life. And we're going to continue to hear more of your story. So uh, we are LifeBurst. Uh, you're listening to Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app or you can share this on social media. So, Neil, how did you tell your family? Yeah, um, well, I grew up in a home where they would say that they are Christian or they went to church and they did things in the church and things like that. And, um, you know, they, they made decisions to do that. I think we said grace. I think I'm pretty sure we said grace when we were young. And um, But I kind of, when I was 13 years old, I came to them and said, oh, you know, this group at school, you know, I became Christian and stuff like that. But... They they saw that it was not a heart change, like it was more just 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 behavioural changes and things. And then and then I just it wasn't long until I started you know doing the other things. And um, and so I think they originally thought like, who is this guy? Why is he saying this again? Like it's not going to stick and all that sort of stuff. Oh, I, I honestly believe that. Um, but after seeing the seeing what was actually occurring and, and how my life had changed. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I had to tell my parents that I was doing drugs and getting drunk every weekend and all this sort of stuff because they didn't know. They didn't know really much about, uh, you know, they, they didn't really get to know me as a person um, and they wouldn't have even known if I was struggling or anything like that. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just the life they lived. That's just they were just caught up in who they were, um, and so telling them wasn't that hard. I just I didn't really sit down and have a conversation. I just kind of changed. Mm, and then they just saw that as a witness, anyway. I'm not sure they saw it as a witness. I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely couldn't shut up about Jesus. So you know, <laughs> I remember I remember driving to my um, my dad's. Um, uncle's funeral or something like that and um and he uh you know he asked me if he was going to hell and and I was able to talk to him about 
um, the, you know, the relationship with Jesus and, and what he says in the Bible and things like that. And, you know, he just kind of said to me, oh, well, you know, I'm a good person, I'm a great person, so, you know, therefore that's where I'm going kind of thing. And I didn't really fight it. I just, just left it there and just prayed for him. And, you know, when he went through his cancer and things like that, I'd constantly say, you know, I'm praying for you and things like that. And I think probably – Probably one of the biggest witnesses was when my um, my cousin suicided a couple of years ago, or just over a year ago, and I did the funeral. And um, you know, I remember them saying to me, "You know, I don't know how you had the strength to do that," and and I know how I had the strength to do it because it was God giving me that strength, and it was a gift to them, um, the parents and things like that. So uh, yeah, so I felt like I felt like you know I've been loud about my faith. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, they're, they're not at that place right now. So we just keep just loving them. Mm. So you, you earlier in the story were selling hoodies. Uh, you were involved in clothing. How did life, uh, as, thing, as you grew, as things changed, what, where did you find work and, and ways to uh, spend your days? <laughs> I remember... Um, I remember being a teenager sitting on the couch doing nothing and my mom actually enrolled me in this retail sales course and um, and because I was just bumming around home after year 12 and she's like, you're not bumming around home anymore. I'm going to enroll you in this course. And she enrolled me in this course and I kind of loved it, thrived at it and, um, and just started a retail journey. I think I worked in like seven different stores in my retail journey and part of that was right in the middle of that is when I became a Christian at 21 and um, and met with some different people and and they got me working for SMG and and um, it was a really, uh, it was great. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't get paid for it and like that. It was it was kind of a consignment commission thing that was, yeah, I'd never do it that way again. But, yeah, it started that journey. So, um it's kind of interesting uh, how I got into that. Okay, so the SMG. Uh, not everyone will be familiar with that. What did that that role look like? Uh, so schools ministry group mm-hmm. had a had like a social enterprise arm, if you like, and they basically sold hoodies, basically right. that had the word the, the symbol SMG on it, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, we just sold them at youth rallies and different places like that. Yeah, yeah, nice. So from there, uh, you've, as you finished school, you're working in retail. Uh, you you had another opportunity to to find some work that matched up with this newfound passion. I was going to a church, and uh, they their youth leader um, their youth leader I uh, was finishing up, and I think it was just I was the loudest there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you know that that kind of they went oh maybe you should think about leading this youth group and stuff and so I did and and then apparently I was employed I didn't have any interview in there but apparently I was employed and and I was doing about a day a week or something like that and then and then basically uh, the church kind of amalgamated with four different churches and uh, and it wasn't long until you know my heart had grown and I was studying and doing a diploma in ministry at Tabor and uh, and then I ended up um, going to uh, into schools and just loving on those young people and uh, effectively partnering with the chaplain and running schools outreach stuff and, and you know, running soccer programs and mentoring and leadership talks and a whole bunch of different things. 
and then inviting kids back into our youth ministry and and um and that was great. We we did some crazy stuff and and uh and then like I think probably a couple of years down the track, you know, my um my minister at the time just said, you know, I reckon you should think about, you know, becoming a pastor or whatever it was and so I kind of did. That was pretty much it and and um ended up pastoring church fifteen years, a lot of youth groups and churches and um yeah, had some really great times there. Mm. So along the way, you've um, you mentioned you mentioned suicide, but you've also been been touched by by others who've experienced pain and loss, and and that's been uh, it's resonated with you to the point that you've wanted to make a difference to that. Um, so take us through what stirred for you there and what's come out of that. Yeah, uh, so I've had six people in my life. Uh, suicide. My first experience was when I was about 16, uh, a 13-year-old girl, um, yeah, just was really struggling, was sexually abused, um, ended up making a decision to not go to school one day and ended her life alone. And um, she had come to Adelaide and spent time with us and they'd gone back to New Zealand and I hadn't heard from her and then we're walking back from a party and someone said, oh, you know, do you know that girl? She was, she's no longer with us and, and she suicided and, and um, it's really broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I was in retail, I was uh, working for uh, a shoe company and uh, I heard this really big thud uh, when I was serving kids at the time and I turned around and someone had suicided right in front of me just just outside of our shop and um, that was really incredibly tough and just working in youth ministry had a lot of young people self-harming a lot of um you know attempted suicide a number of different things and so uh when i was in between jobs when i finished up with the church um uh, pastoring churches i was in between jobs and i my desire is always to uh hopefully just try to make the world a better place and, and be an example in doing it and so I have always wanted to start a clothing brand and so I decided what the heck, why not? <laughs> and um, and so I designed a few things and got a few people to design stuff and put it out there and uh, started a brand called Positive T-Shirts. And Positive T-Shirts is a brand that is about starting a conversation that could save a life. So every image on the T-Shirt is, is all about... Um, is all about uh, focused around um, starting that conversation and they have images like talk out loud or positive or don't lose hope or whatever it is to try and start that conversation. Um, Cue the headshot on Sarah. I'm wearing yeah, that's yeah, right. I'm wearing that's my right. positive hoodie. I'll just take my inks out. Here we go. It's the long sleeve nice. T-shirt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a good... long one. <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's super comfy. We'll come back. Yeah. And we'll come back in just a moment and uh, hear more of that story. It's a great story. Um, I've got some of the products too. And as you say, it does start a conversation. Mm. Uh, you are listening to Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. 
13 11 14 is the number to call uh, for anybody who might be you know maybe experiencing some of the things that Neil's talking about or you know somebody who might be going through some of these things or if you just need to have a chat with someone 13 11 14 is the number to call to chat with someone from Lifeline 24 hours 7 days a week. We are chatting with Neil and he's up to the point of his life when he started positive t-shirts. So take us from there, Neil. So, um, yeah, so I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to be focused on, um, you know, making money out of it for myself. I wanted to uh, make sure that this brand was focused around making a difference in people's lives. And so I looked at partnering with organisations around um, preventing youth suicide. And so I um, ended up settling with um, a couple of organisations that I give uh, finance to, and all profits go to these organisations because they focus on mental health and prevention of suicide. And so every sale, every profit goes to them, which is, you know, really exciting. Yeah. And your motivation behind this is to start a conversation. That's always been your motivation. And uh, having walked around wearing the uh, the T-shirts and the hoodies myself, I, I know that that's the impact that they have. Mm. I've got one that's got don't lose hope. It's all it says. Um, it looks good, but it it does start a conversation. People say yeah. that's that's great words, and you, um, I'm able to say, yeah, this is, mm. this is what mm. these T-shirts are about. And so... Uh, yeah, credit to you for creating something yeah. so small that does start a conversation. Um, and I think that's your motivation behind it, isn't it? To uh, to get people talking uh, about things that, uh, like for you, you, you never had a chance as a child to talk about. Suicide is a taboo topic. Mm-hmm. Mental health is a taboo topic. Mental illness is a taboo topic. And we've created this stigma in society that people don't, want to talk about it because it is really, really prickly and really hard and incredibly difficult to talk about. The problem is without talking about it, you inadvertently suffocate the opportunity to really see how people are doing. You know, the thing is, is that there's so much uh, talk around, you know, we've got to be focused around good mental health. You hear it in sport, you hear it in um a whole bunch of different worlds Um, and the thing is in society there's still a stigma around mental uh, health mental illness in that you know there's still you don't have to speak about um, if you have a mental illness you don't have to talk about it in your workplace or anything like that and you don't have to even say that you've got anything like and 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 because people feel like they can't talk about it or they feel like the boss is going to, you know, discredit their ability to be able to work or, or whatever it is. And I think the thing is that's really sad that we have this society where it's like shut up and just deal with what you're going through and don't tell anyone because then that presents as a weak force. And mm. like... I know I'm not allowed to swear, so I'm not going to, but that's just bullcrap, you know. And <laughs> I think the thing is is that my my heart breaks mm-hmm. for the many, many mm-hmm. people that are um, that are going through this and um, and I just wanted to start a conversation and I, I think it starts 
I think it starts at the dinner table, you know, conversations around the dinner table. I don't remember a conversation with my parents about these topics at all. I don't remember having a conversation about the birds and the bees kind of thing, you know, about sex or anything. I, I don't remember a conversation about anything like that. And so if if that's my home, I don't know that's in the 80s or whatever it is, 70s, but the thing is is that um, I don't think much has changed in society and if we want to see statistics of eight a day, suicides a day change, we have to get a conversation that's real and honest. What would you say to parents or carers or family members uh, of a young person who might have shared with them that they're going through something like this? What would you say to them? Uh, just say to them, what's the most important thing for you is to make sure that they feel loved, that child feels loved, that child feels special, that child feels heard and listened to and that you actually let them know it's going to be okay and we're going to work through this together. I'm going to be on this journey with you. If they feel alone, then they won't ever talk to you again. You know, if they feel like they that you don't listen to them, they're just going to shut down and that's what young people, statistics actually show that young people tell their friends before they tell an adult. And I think that's that needs to change. You know, it needs to be their mum and dad or or whoever a trusted adult that's that's going to listen and act and respond mm. because a lot of young people don't know how to handle the emotion of of, of, of a topic like this. Unfortunately, um, I'm, it's very close to my heart, this is Sarah, because my son um, has been suicidal since he was 10 years old and uh, some of the toughest conversations we've ever had um, at home is around this topic. We have a, a policy in our home that basically states that no matter what you're going through, nothing's off the table to talk about. And um, and I reckon at times that's really saved him. Um, I think that's really helped him and supported him and he's told us as such. And so I think I, I think the thing that I would say is to, to really make sure that you listen to your child and you respond and you can get them to a GP um, as quickly as you can. Don't panic, but it's really important to get them to a GP and get them assessed if that's what you feel like you should do. Yeah, I was going to say, can you sort of link any of our listeners into some type of resources that might be helpful for them? On our website, um, positivetestshirts.com.au, there are some helpful resources there that you can go to around statistics but also around, um, you know, what help you can get. Um, there's, you know, if a young person is struggling, they can go to Coming Together to Prevent Youth Suicide, which is a, a Facebook group that that allows young people to share what they're going through and if they are at risk, they get police involved, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's an opportunity. And I, honestly, I think Lifeline is probably the best. Um, they actually just, through the snap lockdown in Victoria, they actually just, um, nearly broke the 60-year record. They had, they had something like 30, uh, they had over 3,000 phone calls in one day um, from, uh, yeah, 3,600 or whatever it was, um, calls in one day, and that's nearly broken the 60-year record. Wow. So people are hurting right now, you know, these lockdowns and things like that. So, And I think the thing is, you know, what I'd say to a parent um, whose young person is going through that as well, I would say that, 
you know, just think about um, what that child has just been through this whole year, you know. Uh, lockdown has really presented some serious impacts for young people and they're still trying to understand and navigate this and thinking that it's not going to happen again or is going to happen again, etc. Mm. Mm. That's uh, pretty pretty critical stuff. And, and to go back to what you kind of alluded to before, um, it may not be that the young person gets to the point of um, wanting to share with you, but for a family to create space where it's safe and loved and where, like you said, nothing's off the table Mm -hmm. to create and encourage that conversation um, so that when and if things do come up, then they're able to have that conversation. Um, Yeah, just picking up on what what you've added there before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's such a a big and broad thing that you could could make because it's – so many generations and the stigma that comes along with those generations and those statistics and all of those types of things, uh, it you, you can educate every single person in the family in different ways to do it. Like the the adults in the house, I suppose, you could educate them on how to create a safe place and how to start those conversations in the beginning and for them, like what you have done, Neil, just to make it normal and that nothing is off the table so that the children or anybody who comes into the house knows that, it's a safe place to talk about those things. So, yeah, and then you can educate mm. the young person on how to possibly talk about this stuff, how to express their feelings to other adults in their life and to find those people that care about them and that can, yeah, support them through whatever they're going through. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. We're chatting with Neil and I just asked him a question about when he was coming out of his life with, you know, drugs and alcohol all the time and, and moving into this new life, uh, who were the people that were around him or you, Neil, Neil, I can talk to you, that supported you through this time? Yeah, look, um, I would say that um, there was one particular person, one person, there was mm-hmm. a trusted adult who was a chaplain in my school who went to our church, who cared about me in my adult years, um, you know, a number of different things. And uh, he used to pick me up every single Wednesday and take me to basketball and I play basketball in his team and things like that. We'd have deep conversations on the way home. And, and there were so many times we'd be like, you know, you don't have to do this, you know. Like, you don't need to do it. You know, there's another way and all this sort of stuff. And I think, you know, still to this day, he's a really good friend of mine a really good friend and um, and he uh, we've got a special bond and um, if it wasn't for him I, I don't know where I would be to be honest with you I think him and Jesus kind of helped me out a lot <laughs> mm. that's special yeah well Neil thanks for you've been really honest in what you've shared with us today mm. um, as you've moved, uh, you, we should say that you're in Victoria uh, at the moment, and uh, so the uh, the lockdowns and uh, being aware of of mental health, particularly in the situation there, quite different to some of the other states and even here in South Australia. But uh, but the issues are still real. Uh, what have you found yourself doing now, and uh, and what's ahead for you? Yeah, so I'm the uh, general manager of Child Safe. So I lead this organisation here. 
we work with organisations to prevent harm and abuse of children. And as a survivor of child sexual abuse, I'm pretty motivated to that. But we've created safe environments for over 320,000 children and we're really stoked about that. And so we just support churches and sporting clubs and councils um, to help them to align with child safety standards and also um, we've created tools and services to support them uh, to create those safe places for children. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I lead that organisation and uh, have been doing that for over three and a half, nearly four years. Um, I've got a great small team and we work nationally. We definitely uh, punch higher above our belt than we <laughs> we should, but we want to make that difference. Um, and, yeah, just really uh, paving the way for, I guess, our family and um, my wife and my children and, and trying to help them with their opportunities. Um I've got a few things on the horizon that I'm, I'm working with just to just expand this conversation around mental health. But more than that, just, you know, helping families to have conversations in general, just talk. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, and, um, and, yeah, continue to keep you fit and healthy and, and just uh, continue to build a good, healthy relationships that are authentic and real. Now, I should uh, ask you about your uh, fitness because you've got a pretty inspiring story, uh, in my books at least. Um, you, it, over the last year or so, you've been um, pushing yourself mm-hmm. and um, achieving some goals that you people would have told you in the past that you would never reach. So, yeah, tell us, tell us where you were and what you've come to. Yeah, it's interesting you say that now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, look, I... Um, I I was injured quite badly um, in my knees and I've had surgery in my knees before and um, one of the doctors actually said, uh, you know, you won't ever run again and, like, running's been really good for mental health and mm-hmm. things like that and um, and uh, cut a long story short, I don't really like to listen to doctors every time, especially <laughs> when they tell me what I can't do. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so I, uh, anyway... I changed my shoes, I got some mentorship around running and a whole bunch of different things. Ended up doing a half marathon last year, um, um, which was a pretty proud moment. I ran a few um, uh, just before well lockdown, done. obviously. Um, and, um, yeah, look, it was great. And unfortunately now, um, just before Christmas, um, just before Christmas, I've injured myself again. So I'm now on rehabilitation again. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I think it's really important to note that you should never put your eggs in only one basket, if you like, and there is opportunity to continue to grow. So since not running, I've started, you know, really a, a, probably a more full-on routine, um, a lot of uh, core work, a lot of toning and those sort of things, and, um, and, and I've probably, you know, it's been really, really beneficial. Um, and I haven't been able to run, which has been really unhelpful and mm. it's been very, very sore, but I've still been able to volunteer at Park Run. I've been able to still connect with people and, um, yeah, it's just a different different way. So I'm just going to do get an exercise bike and things like that and just try to keep staying fit and, and try to change my neurons in my brain to make sure I'm thinking positively uh, about this running thing and, and hopefully I'll be able to get back on the track again. Here's a little funny question because you're like into fitness now and everything. Do you bench, Neil? Do I do I bench? Um, do I bench? actually do think I actually do things differently 
Um, <laughs> I use a fit ball and um, I do something called kinetic link training, which is it's um, it's a new kind of – well, it's been around for a while, but it's, it's not so much heavy, heavy weights or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's more around – it's more about stabilization and getting range of motion. Mm. Um, and so doing that and then obviously, you know, I just do heaps of push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I don't have a bench per se. Um, <laughs> I can bench, but I choose not to. I think there's a better way of doing it. It's actually really unhelpful for your body, but anyway. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'm on the same page as you with that. That's why I don't <laughs> bench. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, we're yeah, talking yeah. about yeah, Matt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I could probably, I could probably bench Matt. That's, that's pretty much. <laughs> All right. We'll have to send, uh, I love that you're um, you're not giving up and and positive. So uh, it's the name of your brand, but it's 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 how you live as well. And uh, even in what you've just shared, your motivation is still to find new ways of being positive uh, mind over matter in lots of ways as well and the mm. huge difference that makes. Mm. So, yeah, credit to you for that and that's that's great encouragement to all who see you and continue to know you. Thanks, mate. Mm. Okay, uh, we just totally skimmed over like your wife and everything like ah. that. Yeah, I know, I missed that question because well, it's going under such a good story afterwards. Uh, so we'll ask you that when we come back. This is Life Birth with Sarah and Matt. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. So, Neil, how did you meet your wife? Well, that is an interesting story. Um, so I was uh, too cool for school um, okay. when I was younger, but I did get invited to a youth group. And I remember being dressed in all black, Adidas, you know, cross colours, big jeans, like so big that when you walk it looks like you're gliding across the floor kind is of thing. Is this 80s or 90s? This is 90s. Okay. Um, oh, actually, no, it would be 80s. Oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> not that old now. Nineties, uh, <laughs> I've been it'd be no, early nineties, early nineties. Yeah. Okay, okay. When, when Criss Cross had a, had their hit jump. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, so, Matt, um, please tell us. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I was there, and she invited me to play balloon volleyball, and I went nah, <laughs> and that was it. Um, and then we didn't see each other for about eight years. And um, and I was working at a, a, sh- a clothing shop, and a few days earlier, her mum had come in, and uh, apparently she'd gone home and and said to Kate, oh, "I met this guy at you know at this retail shop, and and um, he's really nice. Just come and meet him anyway." So that's that's apparently what happened. And so she came, and um, she was going to go to Sanity if that's still around, um, and. Basically, um, uh, she ended up coming into the shop and we knew each other. Like it just it was just this, oh, we know each other. Anyway, and um, and then I'd just become a Christian and like literally like I reckon a couple of months 
or something like that. And I was just like, oh, you should come to my church and all this stuff. And anyway, funnily enough, um, Kate's mum had actually been saying, you should go to Brooklyn Park, you should go to Brooklyn Park. And and um, anyway, and so I invited her and it, I think she came about three months later and uh, she walked in and I thought her name was Claire. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That didn't go down too well when we were trying to put my number, her number in my phone. Yeah. I was like, is it C-L? It's like, my name's Kate. Anyway. <laughs> um, and so um, from there, just uh, just built the relationship, built the friendship, and it was pretty obvious that um, it was time to take it to that next level. Oh, uh, and, um, and I invited her to be my girlfriend. Oh, okay. So you're going to say you're married, but okay. Eventually you ended up getting married. So how did you propose to her then? Oh, that's an interesting story. Okay. I'm a very I'm a very visual person, right? So I'm really visual. Mm-hmm. And so I often have visions and things like that. And and so I remember you know, praying one time or just you know, sitting down, relaxing one time. And I remember having this picture of this of this um, sunset and um, island. And I'm like, okay, what's this all about? Anyway, and I just sort of, I felt like, I, I knew I'd already bought the ring. So, you know, she was already ready to go. She already had her, her I hadn't even proposed to her and she'd already bought her wedding dress. There you go. I just told her about a sale and she went and bought one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I love this so much. And she said, and she, she said to me, um, you sure you want me to get this wedding dress? I said, yeah, 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 absolutely, definitely do it, absolutely. And she's thinking to herself, you haven't even proposed to me that. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, I guess I could sell it on eBay. Anyway, um, no, eBay wasn't around back then. Anyway, Trading um, but um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I already bought the ring <laughs> and um, I focused on uh, thinking about that that dream and that vision and so um, – I realised it was on Granite Island in Victor Harbour. And so one day I um, invited her to come and uh, have a meal with me and then we went for a walk on Granite Island. I remember talking about a whole bunch of different things and then I ended up, um, we ended up praying, I think, together, I think, for ages. And in the middle of praying, I pulled out the ring and told her to, would you like to be my wife? Right. And I think I'll come. Awesome. I actually, I, can, I just... I, I I think I asked her. Yeah, yeah right. I <laughs> you did say told her, didn't you? You, yeah. you didn't ask Jesus or anything. <laughs> no, I, I I don't think I told her. I think I just I think I just said, um, yeah. I think I I don't even know what I said. You have to ask her. <laughs> um, I did say we were, so that was important. But it was no on the island. It was actually illegal to be there at that time because you're meant to be off the island at a certain time. We were in illegally. We didn't know that. Sure. Sort of. Uh, and um, and there were no one on the island, and so there were, but there were penguins in their holes because you know Grand Island there's penguins, and so Kate was like showing them. <laughs> Amazing. That's so cute. There you go. Well, there you go. Creative ideas for our listeners. Uh, yep, you heard it here. <laughs> so many options. I could just hear Reese, the producer, just laughing in the other room right now. Yeah, that's it. Window. So how how long uh, roughly you've been married now, Neil? Yeah, I've been married uh, eighteen years. Fantastic! Congratulations. Congratulations. So not roughly, I have been married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably some rough patches, but we we don't have to go there. That's- 
So how <laughs> how has your relationship with um, God and Jesus and stuff like that changed as you got married and then you grew as a couple? I think it's safe to say that when I became a Christian, my head was so far in the clouds, I wouldn't even be able to see earth. Um, I pretty much lived like that for, I reckon, 15 years nearly, always, even as a pastor and things like that, until until I realised uh, fully um, that I was, um, that it wasn't actually about me and it was actually about God. And I had some hits, some big hits, some, some really big hits from being bullied in the church to, um, and those two things shouldn't go together, but it did, um, bullying in the church uh, to being fired from the church to experiencing incredible pressure. Um, it definitely challenged, challenged my faith, but... For me personally, um, I'm so much better as a person, more authentic as a person, more real as a person um, outside of the church than I ever was in. And I know that's really difficult maybe for some listeners to understand. I'm not saying people should leave the church. I'm just saying that for me, my heart and my soul is about um, authentic relationships. And I would say that that I'm still being undone and done up again by God in that um, my faith is so much richer and real and I'm not reading the Bible for a sermon prep or I'm not, you know, doing something to prepare for something. I'm just just literally just, you know, reading a verse a day or whatever it is or praying when I feel like it rather than having these regimented times. And um, for me... Uh, and my family, uh, we don't, you know, go to a church or like that. We haven't got any desire to, to go to a church, but we have authentic relationships in our life, speak into our life, people who are Christian. Um, and um, and for us, that's, that's really supported us and uh, that's our faith. And I think for me personally, um, I've come to realise more and more that you don't have to feel God to know that he's there. You rely on your his promises and the past experiences to remind you of the fact that he's never, never left us. We had a conversation just recently with our staff, our small staff, around what is the darkest valley that you've ever been through? And um, we sort of, I, I just shared with them about the fact that Sometimes when you look back and you realise that God was there, it looked very different than you expected. And for me, um, you know, when we were in Victoria and I got, you know, fired from the church and we had to move out of home, like there's so many different things. We were one week away from being homeless, you know, um, and, you know, I had no job, no money, no nothing. And the thing is, is that, um, I, you know, I know that I was still richer than than so many people in the world um, living in Australia, and so you know you're going to land on your feet. Um, but looking back, I know that you know it wasn't that God provided when I wanted to; it was provided when I was ready to receive what I needed to have. 
rather than um, trying to will God into doing what I think he should do. And I've learned a lot about the fact that I don't need to have a voice to be listened to. I'm just loved anyway. And, and that's pretty precious. And I think, you know, if I died tonight, I'd be pretty stoked that I've, I've, I've been able to receive that and understand that, mm. um, that my voice is valid no matter what anyway, if anyone even doesn't even hear it because God put it there. And uh, I'm very privileged to, to know Jesus and I'm very thankful that I've been on this journey with him. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much, Neil, for sharing with us today, sharing just a, a, you know, a burst of your life with us here on Life First. So thank you, Neil, for taking the time out today to share with us. Uh, it's an honour and a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. So you can catch up on all things Life First through our podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from or our video podcast on YouTube. This has been Life Burst. I am Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozadigan with additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a raw cut production.